Now, as we begin this morning, I mentioned that we're going to start the book of Galatians, and we are, but not today. <laughs> now, in light of some of the things that have been going on of late, including things that developed last night, I thought it appropriate that we continue to stay the course in our exhortations and encouragements throughout this time of both pandemic and trial, specifically for the church. Now, how many have been following what's happening with John MacArthur? I'm sure most of you have been following in the news what's happening with him. A few days ago, he filed a lawsuit against the governor of the United States. A judge ruled in his favor saying that Grace Community Church up in L.A. could have in-person services with social distancing and every congregant wearing a mask. And there would be uh, L.A. Health County authorities uh, attending the service. Well, last night, a higher court judge reversed that decision and indoor services are restricted in all of L.A. County. So the battle rages, and again, the battle belongs to the Lord, but we are the Lord's army. And therefore, we need to participate in what God is doing. And so I thought it prudent to continue in our encouragements, because not only are we facing a pandemic, but we know the next 10 weeks are going to be just wonderful, because it's an election. And we know that's all going to be positive news that comes up in these coming days. But let me first remind you of this. Psalm 33, 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Now, it is true that the content of the Psalms is largely addressing the nation of Israel, though there are things pertaining to the nature and character of God that are applicable to all of us. However, The Holy Spirit inspired the psalmist to use a specific word translated as nation in Psalm 33, 12, and that word is goy. And the Hebrew word actually means foreign nations, or in a word, the Gentiles. Now, the same God who is the Holy One of Israel is the God of the church as well. Hello? We don't have a different God than the Jews. It is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that is our King and the sovereign Lord over all the earth. Now, there is one nation and ethnic group that can call themselves God's chosen people in the sense of nationality, and that is Israel. But any nation who makes the God of Israel their Lord is going to experience the blessings of God. And we are living in the land of the free as the most blessed and prosperous nation in the history of the world because our founding fathers did exactly that. They made the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the God over the United States of America. Now, we live in a time of the cancel culture efforts and movement to destroy our history as a nation to remove our Christian heritage. And the fact is, we need to remember some of the words of our founding fathers and how they viewed the birth and existence of our nation. John Quincy Adams says this, the highest glory of the American Revolution was this, it connected in one indissolvable bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. And then also Benjamin Franklin said this, who is one of the uh, least religious, him and Thomas Jefferson, amongst the founding fathers, according to historians. But listen to what Franklin said. I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. Somebody say amen. Amen. 
And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, it is probable that an empire can rise without his aid. We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writing, speaking of the Bible, that except the Lord build, they labor in, in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. Now, the cancel culturists want to relate, uh, erase rather any evidence of our Christian heritage as a nation, and sadly, many Christians today want to distance themselves from any political involvement, forgetting that this nation was founded upon the principles of the Word of God, the principles of Christianity. And Proverbs reminds us in 14, 34, and 35 that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The king's favor is toward a wide servant, wise servant, but his wrath is against him who causes shame. Now we've been watching a major shift in our country from righteousness to reproach, and all of it stems from the same thing, and that is moving away from the word of God, moving away from honoring God and his word upon which our nation was founded. Thomas Paine in his book or, or booklet, Common Sense, in 1776 wrote this, but where, says some, is the king of America? I tell you, friend, he reigns above. God is the king over all creation. Amen? Amen? Now, yes, we are citizens of heaven. But Jesus said we are also the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And it's because of being made righteous in Christ that we have both the ability and the responsibility to see that our nation is blessed and exalted above all things that cause shame. Now, by definition, we live in a democratic republic, but there is a king over our country, and it is he that has blessed us and called us to be a people that allow our nation to be exalted. Now, this brings us to our title today. It's actually the name of a band that has developed in recent years, but uh, they borrowed it, so I'll borrow it too. And our title this morning is actually For King and Country. For King and Country is our title. Now, Terry and I, any of you who follow us on uh, social media, know that we have taken to going for walks every morning and have had some wonderful encounters with wildlife and other people and it's just a, a great time to get out and get your legs stretched and get some uh, steps in. Each morning we go out, uh, out uh, about five days a week and we had an interesting encounter last week on one of our walks. There was a young woman and I would not use the word lady because this kind of language doesn't come from a lady's mouth. Somebody say amen. amen. She was walking on the wrong side of the path and she was walking in the wrong direction. Now this is actually a road and therefore you obey the regular rules of travel, whether you're on a bicycle or on foot or in a car, which occasionally cars drive down this road. Now she was walking on the wrong side of the path in the wrong direction and she came to fa face to face with Terry and she, as she got a few feet away, screamed in her face, move. And Terry stood there. I mean, she was a bit shocked by her actions. So what the woman did was she started to cuss Terry out. She flipped her off with both hands. And then she finally went around her. And she said, as she passed by, you stupid white people. She was not black. She was white herself. So I guess she's stupid too. So 
But listen, the girl was wrong. She was clearly on of the entitlement mentality that we see uh, dominating today. And that everyone else who was either walking or riding on the path had to accommodate her choice to violate the rules. And this is what we're seeing much of in our world today. I told Terry, we just met a member of Antifa. Someone who thinks that they can do whatever they want without consequence. A violent group who seeks to overthrow our country that actually has the support of many democratic leaders in our nation today. Well, reproaches are here. We're seeing cities set on fire and all the other things we've been watching with disgust in the media over recent months. Reproaches mean wicked things. Are wicked things happening in our country? Do we need to be salt and light today? Of course we do. And Christians, some say, should not speak up or get involved in political matters. And I would say this, that's neither historically accurate nor is that biblically correct. And the fact is, John Hancock made two statements that I'll share with you this morning. He said, resistance to tyranny becomes the Christian and social duty of every individual. Continue steadfast and with a proper sense of your dependence on God, nobly defend those rights which heaven gave and no man ought to take from us, including assembling together as a body of believers. Those who would give up, he went on to say, uh, Benjamin Franklin said rather, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. Listen, we are children of the king living in this country. And our king is the king of kings. And we have the responsibility to bring blessings to this land. Now, I want to mention three things that will help us in this season of pandemic, politicking, and polarization that we need to remember as we serve our king and live in this great country. Would you pray with me, please? Father, again, we are blessed that you are the God of all creation. And Lord, it isn't necessary to believe in you for you to exist, for you simply have declared that you are. And you are the God who sits over the circle of the earth. You are the God who turns the heart of a king like a river in whatever direction you want. We pray for our great nation. We pray, Lord, that the actions of the people that call themselves American citizens would turn things in a positive direction. And we know that you are able, so we cry out to you now on behalf of America. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, here's the first thing I think we need to recognize. Listen, a Christian who honors their king will be a blessing to their country. A Christian who honors their king will be a blessing to their country. Now, there's much to say in regards to that fact that we've stated in the past because the church ought to be the hardest working people in the country. Thank you, Mike, for that one amen. Anybody else want to get in on this? We ought to be the hardest working people in this country because we don't labor for men. We labor for God. Whatever we do, we do it as unto the Lord, according to Scripture. Now, we need to be the most beneficial members of the nation in which we live or whatever country a Christian may live in, even if they aren't viewed in that manner. Now, in Matthew 6, 28 to 34, Jesus said this. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, 
will he not much more clothe you, O you of little what? Faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But read it with me, please, out loud. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, much for us to consider, too much for us to consider this morning, but I want, you to, I want to draw your attention to this uh, directive not to worry. Especially in the fact that worry is leading to many negative manifestations in people's lives today during this pandemic. Many people today are self-medicating through drugs and alcohol. Domestic violence is rampant. Depression and all of its companions are at record highs. And yet the Christian is told, do not worry unless there's a pandemic. <laughs> is that what it says? Do not worry. Period. Do not worry. And look at how God cares for his creation, Jesus says. And he cares far more for you and I than he cares for even the beautiful lilies of the field. Jesus would add this in Luke 12, 6 to 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. That doesn't take God very long with me. <laughs> Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Now, let's bring some balance into this. Jesus didn't say honoring the king will bring a problem-free existence. He said face life one day at a time and don't borrow from tomorrow worries for today. And as I've said before, I'll remind you again this morning, if you have trusted God with your eternity, you can certainly trust him with today and tomorrow. If we have trusted the most important thing into his very capable hands, we can trust him to care for us. After all, he made the declaration. He's the one that made the statement, don't worry about these things, I'll take care of you. Now, King David said this in Psalm 37, 25, I have been young and am now old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. Now, listen close. It doesn't mean the righteous never miss a meal. It doesn't mean the righteous don't have hard times. It doesn't mean the righteous don't lose jobs and property. But it does mean, as those things may come, they will not define or determine the Christian's existence or outlook and need not drive them to things that are detrimental to them and those around them. If God said, seek first the kingdom and I'll add to you the things that you need, what you eat, drink, and wear, then that's exactly what it means and that's exactly what he's going to do. Can he ever fail you? No. Did my mic go off here or what's the deal? Can he ever fail you? Of course he can't fail you. If he made that promise, he put the onus on himself. It's his responsibility to live up to his word. He promised that he would care for us and we need to continue to put him first and not worry. I am glad that Jesus is not a politician. He's the king. 
He doesn't make empty promises. If he said something, it's as good as done. If he said it, he will do it. And when the Christian honors the king, seeks him first, he has promised to add all the things that are normal life concerns to us. The sparrow has his eye. The lily has his care. How much more important are those who bear his own name, whom he has adopted as his own children through the blood of his own son? Anyone, say anyone, anyone who honors him will be a blessing to their country. And listen, it's not that they won't have problems. It's just that they won't be one. Somebody say amen. amen. Now here's the second thing we need to consider today. Listen, Christians should be impacting every level of culture. Christians should be impacting every level of culture. And in the realm of politics, we could say, listen, we're not just here to be good citizens and obey the laws. We as Christians have the calling and capacity as salt and light to be writing the laws. In other words, we ought to have people in Congress. We ought to have people in every level of authority. And listen, we're not here to go into the houses of Congress as a Republican or a Democrat. We're there to go to present a Christian worldview and perspective. And Noah Webster again said, No truth is more evident to my mind than that the Christian religion must be the basis of any government intended to secure the rights and the privileges of free people. He went on to say the Christian religion in its purity is the basis or rather the source of all genuine freedom in government. And I am persuaded that no civil government of a Republican form can exist and be durable in which the principles of that religion have not a controlling influence. Boy, there were some smart guys at the founding of our nation, wasn't there? Amen. Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people what? They groan. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. And again I say... Rejoice. Now listen, if the righteous being in authority is cause for rejoicing and we are to rejoice always, then shouldn't there always be Christians writing our laws and governing our land? Yeah. Well, of course there should. Now listen, where we are today as a nation is because some point upstream, Christians decided <coughs> they were to isolate from instead of infiltrate into the field of politics. Now, how many are familiar with the Black Robe Regiment? How many of you have heard of that term? Well, let me explain to you a little bit what that means. The Black Robe Regiment was the name that the British placed on the courageous and patriotic, and this is from the blackroberegiment.com, from the courageous and patriotic American clergy during the founding era, uh, ref, uh, reference to the black robes they wore. Significantly, the British blamed the Black Regiment, Black Robe Regiment, for American independence, and rightfully so. For modern historians have documented that there is not a right asserted in the Declaration of Independence which had not been discussed by the New England clergy before 1763. It is strange to today's generation to think that the rights listed in the Declaration of Independence were nothing more than a listing of sermon topics that have been preached from the pulpit in two decades leading up to the American Revolution, but that was the case. But it was not just British who saw, the British who saw the American pulpit 
as largely responsible for American independence and government? Our own leaders agreed. For example, John Adams rejoiced that the pulpits have thundered and specifically identified several ministers as being among the characters the most conspicuous, the most ardent and influential in the awakening and the revival of American principles and feelings that led to American independence. Across subs uh, subsequent generations, the great and positive influence of the revolutionary clergy was faithfully reported. Now listen to this quote from a, a historian named B.F. Morris in 1864. He said, the ministers of the revolution were, like their Puritan predecessors, bold and fearless in the cause of their country. No class of men contributed more to carry forward the revolution and to achieve our independence than did its ministers. By their prayers, patriotic sermons, and services, they rendered the highest assistance to civil government, the army, and the country. This is our foundation. The pulpits used to be ablaze with patriotic truths because that which we believe and practice as a country is based upon the word of God. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created equal and were endowed by their creator with certain unalienable, unalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our founding fathers believed that there was a creator who would bring blessings to our country if we honored him above all else. In 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21, we're told all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sinned for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Listen, we are citizens of heaven, but we are ambassadors in America. We represent another kingdom in this country, the kingdom of God and of his Christ. And we are here to have an impact on every single level of society. And we are seeing so many things today that used to be taboo being normalized through the media and thus a Christian worldview and belief system is being abnormalized by the media simultaneously. So how do we impact the media? Well, I was wanting to know, how do we impact the media? Well, first of all, we don't purchase their products. And what I mean by that is we don't watch their movies that conflict with our values. We don't listen to their music that is contradictory to what we believe. And listen, we're not here to be entertained. We're here to be ambassadors. We represent another kingdom. I grew up as a young man in Anaheim First Church of the Nazarene under the preaching of Brother Murray Morford, who wore a black suit, a white shirt, and a black tie every Sunday and patted his head with a hanky all throughout the service as he preached and pounded on the pulpit. So I'll do a little bit of this and continue preaching this morning. Amen? Amen. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 5.13, You are the salt of the earth. 
But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. In many cases, the church is getting trampled today. It's because we've lost our savor or our flavor, our saltiness, so to speak. And listen, we're not here to take over the world. That's not what I'm saying, as the uh, dominion theologists teach today or the kingdom now theology proposes. But we are here to impact this world for God's kingdom. We are here to have a positive influence on our country by telling people about the King of Kings and his glorious kingdom. Now, an interesting story came from Life News International. And the story has a very troubling headline which says this. Abortion was the leading cause of death worldwide in 2019. Abortion took the lives of 42 million human beings in 2019. More human beings died in abortion than any other cause of death. The article says this is a heartbreaking reminder about the prevalence of abortion. Statistics compiled by worldometers indicate that there were over 42.3 million abortions worldwide in 2019. The independent site collects data from governments and other reputable organizations and then reports the data along with estimates and projections based on those numbers. And when contrasting the abortion numbers to other causes of death, including cancer, HIV and AIDS, traffic accidents and suicide, abortions far outnumbered every other cause. The next in line to the 42.3 that are killed through abortion every year was 10 million people who die of heart disease. Now, some of you may think this is old fashioned, but what I'm about to say is not old fashioned, it's just good old B-I-B-L-E. And the fact is this, the reason the abortion rate is so high is because sex outside of marriage is so rampant. And we would do more to stop abortion through abstinence, which is the biblical model, than we will ever do through any other means. The fact is abortion is not keeping millions of women from having children conceived through rape or incest. It's now become a form of birth control post-conception. And after the choice had been made to ignore God's word, children are being killed in the name of a woman's right to choose. Now listen. The Christian influence should have a heavy impact in the abortion industry. Amen? Because the fact is, when you choose to live for God, there are going to be certain moral principles that the Holy Spirit will guide you to abide by. It's not going to earn your way into heaven. Hello? Salvation is a free gift of God, right? But we don't obey God so we can get in. We obey God because we love Him. That's what Jesus said. If you love me, Keep my commandments. And the Christian influence should impact every level of society. And when the church pulled out of politics, politics became what we see today. God-fearing men wrote our Declaration of Independence and Constitution and Bill of Rights. Now listen closely because you won't hear this in school today and the media is certainly not going to say it. In our Declaration of Independence, our Constitution and our Bill of Rights, you will not find the phrase the separation of church and state. That is not in our founding documents anywhere. And John Adams said the Declaration of Independence laid the cornerstone of human government upon the precepts of Christianity. James Madison said, Cursed be all learning that is contrary to the cross of Christ. This was actually on a cornerstone at Princeton University for many, many years. Why is that true? Why is that said? Because when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. 
But when a wicked man rules, the people what? Grow. Now, one last thing this morning, and we'll get out of here as things are heating up. Listen, the king is coming soon for every Christian in every country. The king is coming soon for every Christian in every country. Now, Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus or died in Christ. For this, way we, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain, including those at Calvary Chapel Tustin who love Jesus, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Listen, the world is a mess, but Jesus is coming soon. Our nation is changing rapidly and not for the better, but Jesus is coming soon. Yes, there is a pandemic that is being used to advance the progressive globalist agenda, but Jesus is coming soon. Yes, there are wars and rumors of wars, but Jesus is coming soon. Yes, many are facing unprecedented difficulties in life, but Jesus is coming soon. That means two things. Comfort one another with that fact and go tell people about Jesus because Jesus is coming soon. Somebody say amen. amen. And Father, we are grateful for our time this morning together to be reminded of how you have blessed this nation because our founders said the God of the Bible is our Lord. Lord, we know like Israel our nation has wandered. We know like Israel our nation has become idolatrous. We know, Lord, even as you rebuked the nation, saying they've offered their children to the God of Molech as human sacrifices, which is something you never desired. Lord, even then, you set your hand on your people whom you love, and you were faithful to them, even as you are faithful to Christians in every country around the world today, because you are our king. So, Lord, we thank you for our reminders this morning. We thank you for the founding of our nation. And Lord, help us to stay the course. For it is you who said, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that while we are not Israel, we have not replaced Israel. You are our king. And we are a country who has founded itself on the principles of your word. And thus we have been blessed the way we have. Help us, Lord, to continue in that path and help us as Christians as the battle rages and principalities and powers are warring against your church to stand up, having done all to stand. Resist the devil that he might flee from us. We pray these things and ask you for boldness. In Jesus' name, and all God's people agreed by saying, Amen. Amen. The battle is on. Amen.
And listen, as we have talked about in time past, we have every right to exercise our rights as Christians in the United States of America. Listen, I applaud what John MacArthur did. Newsom violated God's law. So within the circumference, so to speak, of the laws of our land, John MacArthur responded to Gavin Newsom and took him to court. Now put this issue in front of the national and international media, and we need to get on board and stand up for the church. Amen? Yeah. <clears throat> because God is for us. And who can be against us? He will prevail. The gates of hell will not, or Hades, will not prevail against his church. So let's go tell people about Jesus because the fact is what Jesus was saying about the salt losing its savor is when we abandon our Christian principles, we have ceased to be the blessing that God has ordained for us to be to this land. And we need to maintain our Christian integrity, the doctrines founded upon what the apostles taught, and therefore we can continue moving forward as the people of God, even though we aren't the chosen ethnic people of God, we are God's people, we are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation whom God has set his hand upon and chosen to bless. So let's stand up and do all to stand for the name of our great King and our wonderful country. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. Would you all stand?